You guys ever seen a child being disciplined? You ever seen them being disciplined and they just kind of don't get it? They're like, hey, go to timeout, right? And sit in this chair. And they're just still having a great time, but they're, now they're just in a different place, like sitting in the timeout chair. <laughs> uh, we're kind of like that sometimes, aren't we? Um, I'm, I'm so excited for this sermon series because it's, it's giving us the big picture, the big picture of what God is doing throughout all of time, all of history, and us as his kids when sometimes, this is what we're going to talk about this week, when he's trying to discipline us and we just don't get it. Um, so let's start at the beginning and go through everything that we've gone through so far during the uh, Jesus Calling sermon series. So here it is. Uh, some of the previous weeks, we've started off right in Genesis 1, where God creates. We've then talked about, and he created everything good. Like he said, God is good, he creates, and he wants us to find fullness and enjoyment in that. We talked then about how he makes uh, people, gives us, makes us in his image, um, which is beautiful. Like We are to be like him, to reflect him. Um, we're personal like he is. We can communicate like he does. Um, but we, we turn away from everything that was good that God had made and wanted for us. And we, we reach the fall where the image, that kind of mirror that we reflect, the goodness and greatness of God gets, gets stained and dirty. And, uh, and we're, we don't do a good job of reflecting that anymore. But God, in his grace and in his goodness, we move to the next week, he still pursues us. right? And he makes a covenant with Noah, with Abraham, and promises to continually pour out grace and goodness and eventually to save us from this state that we put ourselves in. Um, so, uh, and that, then after that, uh, we, we, we trace the promise all the way through. So Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. Um, and then it, Israel, then the, the family of Abraham eventually grows into this great nation, millions of people. And they're like, we want a king. We, we want to look like the rest of the world. So give us a king. And God's like, well, I, I can be your king. And they're like, no, we want another king. And uh, he said, well, it's not going to be good, but here it is. Um, eventually we get a king like David, who uh, God says he is a man after his own heart. So an example of a decent king. Um, and, uh, and he says, that the throne of David that I've set up, this is going to be an eternal throne where the ultimate king will come and rule forever. Um, and then we get to, after a whole long line of kings, we get to a point where a lot of them are disobedient and God sends them into exile to be ruled over by foreign kings, foreign nations, put into slavery. And uh, I'm just so thankful that I get to preach on the easy one. <laughs> so we're going to talk about this moment in time um, where Israel is in exile in Babylon. The, the, well, Israel is actually in exile in Assyria, and the nation of or the there's kind of two tribes: the northern tribe and the southern tribe. Israel's the northern tribe, Judah's the southern tribe, and Judah is off in Babylon. So here we go. Let's jump into it. Um, The, uh, the interesting thing is, like, they said they wanted a king, right? And, and God says, well, you don't really need a king because you have me, right? And if, you, if, we, if I'm your king, I'm your ultimate authority, things will probably go well for you. Um, they say, no, we need a human king because we want to look like the rest of the world. We want to be approved in the eyes of other people. We want to look like they look. We want to wear what they wear. We want to listen to their music. We want to have their culture. We want to have their ways. They seek selfish gain that generally they start to turn in on themselves and say, this is what we want. doesn't matter the goodness that you have for us. We want what we want. And so they chase after things like independence, right? We want our own thing. We want our own king. Wealth, sex, a plurality of gods, they turn towards murder, drunkenness, adultery. They start sacrificing children. 
Does it sound like a culture or a city from 2,000 years ago? Yep. Does it sound like a culture in a city of today? Yep. And so as we look to this, this story, the grand story that, that arches throughout the entire scriptures, uh, let's not put ourselves as a church in a position where we say, that's for back then. What about right now? Because the issues that were issues back then are very similar and very much the same to issues that we face right now. Um, so how did they get there? How did they get to this place where they where they're just doing all these things that I listed? Um, I was kind of wondering this throughout the week. Uh, not that I didn't know. I, I had some vague memory of an idea. And so I just decided, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to read all of 2 Kings and, and I'll, we'll find out. We'll get, we'll get there. Like, let's just, let's just put ourselves in the story. I want to put myself in the story and I want to just trace it through the scriptures. Exactly how did they get there? And so I found it super helpful. Uh, and so we're going to all walk through 2 Kings together. It's a long book, but we're going to do it real quick. <laughs> um, so we're going to start actually in 2 Kings chapter 8. Uh, the previous chapters um, describe uh, the prophetic ministry of uh, one of the prophets of Israel. Um, and when things go bad, generally prophetic uh, activity increases. So that's kind of the first little bit. And uh, so let's start in chapter 8. Um, so they're in this state. The king after king has turned to idolatry. They stopped worshiping the God that gave them the land, that blessed them, that made a name for them, that made them great, that took them out of slavery, that created everything, and they reached this point. Second Kings 8.19, uh, Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, that was the one king that was a man after God's own heart, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. So a lot of the time we think of God, we think of him as, oh, he just, he just floods the earth and kills everybody because he's a jerk and he's an angry God and he's a vicious God and he's a punishing God and he's just a bad God. And that's what the world says about God. But actually, God says something else. He says, you probably deserve to just be destroyed, but... Because of who I am, I won't. A lot of the times, that's the case for us. Even as the church today. Because of God's character, even though we don't deserve certain things, God blesses us, graces us, lifts us up. That's who our God is. He's a God of patience, that after repeatedly falling and failing, he's a God who comes alongside and lifts us back up. <clears throat> because of a promise that he made, and he's faithful to it. And this is just a little side note as we walk through, but here's the question. Uh, how's, how's our marriages? How's our integrity as people who make promises? How are we doing with that? I promise to love you forever, to hold in death, in life, sickness, health, all that. How are our marriages? Are we faithful to the promises that we've made? Like a God is faithful to the promises that he made to us. Even in our friendships, you know, even in our ministry, are we faithful to the promises that we make? God's patience endures through all of that. And after king, after king, after king, we get to a king who's willing to obey. This is King Jehu. And he kind of obeys. <laughs> he does some really cool stuff, like turns well, one of the pillars, one of the statues of a foreign god into a toilet. <laughs> I think the exact word was latrine. <laughs> That's an awesome word. <laughs> says, you know what? This, this idol that we've been worshiping, 
it's only good for this. And so let's smash it down and use it as a place where we do our dirty business. <laughs> where we get rid of our waste. But 2 Kings 10.31, But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. So some of his heart, but not all of his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which is one of the previous kings, one of the previous fathers to many sons, which Jeroboam made Israel to sin. So in this line of history, king after king sins against God. And this is, these are people of influence and power, like the king who makes decisions for millions of people. And that ripples through history. The God you worship will have some semblance of ripple throughout history in your family. If you're a person in a position of authority, the decisions that you make will ripple throughout history and the consequences will affect other people. <clears throat> and this is, part, this is part of the case, right? Jehu decides, okay, I'm going to be faithful to God, but I still want to be like, I still want to be like this previous king a little bit. Or maybe it was the people. They said, you know what? We don't want to, you know, we want to keep this. It's cool that, you know, you can have your thing, but we want our thing. So as you're smashing everything and doing good things for God, like you just keep that to you, but leave this to us. Maybe it was like that. And Jehu gives in, and he says, you know what? The opinion of these people is more important than the opinion of my God. So here's a couple questions as we race through this. What have you not given up? What will you not turn away from that God is asking you to turn away from? In your pretending to be fully obedient, what do you intentionally leave out that God is asking you to change in your life. As we're pretending to look nice and be happy and be successful, don't we do that a lot, right? Hey, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing great. And on the inside, it's like, oh, I'm doing awful, right? How are you? Oh, I'm fine. On the inside, no, I'm not fine. As we pretend to look nice, be happy, be successful, God always sees the real state of our heart because we cannot hide it from Him. 2 Kings 13, 22 to 23. Now Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. It's a good name. Hard to pronounce. Uh, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them, and he turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he would not destroy them, nor has he cast them from his presence until now. So we see after this continual disobedience, this half in, half out, this worshiping of other gods, even though if we're tracing our sermon series and assuming that the Bible is telling the story and that the story is correct and accurate, which we at Trinity Life say it is, this is the only God. But because of his covenant, he would not destroy them and he would not cast them out of his presence. Oh boy, and then we get to the good one. 2 Kings chapter 15. And this is where it's like, this is where it's like landslide of kings doing evil. I won't put the scripture up on the, on the screen, but the continual word uh, sentence that's used to describe them is, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And it's like king after king after king after king. Like, you know how your Bible breaks them up, breaks up the, uh, the paragraphs sometimes nice and easy, and they give you a little subtitle that these things are added in 
years and years and years later after the Bible was written, they give you a little subtitle just to kind of help you figure out what's going on in each section. It's like, there's a lot of subtitles here. This king, 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 did evil in the sight of the Lord, did evil in the sight of the Lord, did evil, did evil in the sight, did evil. Up until, so it's two chapters of this, up until 2 Kings uh, chapter 17, where Israel, this is the tribe in the north, gets taken by the, the, uh, the king of Assyria. And so here we go. There's half of, half of the people, half of God's people, king of Assyria, off so you go. See you later. There you go. Start to ask the question, why? <laughs> why does God let that happen, right? If he's so good and patient and kind and, and so on. Well, we, we know we've been tracking it a little bit, and it gets reemphasized here in verse 7. And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. Who, it, this emphasizes, who's a good God, right? He brought them up out of the land of Egypt. You were in slavery. I gave you freedom. And had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that... So he said, he took them out. It's like, this is your land and I'm going to move these nations aside and this is for you to enjoy and to have. And this land represents my presence and I'm with you. And so he drove them out. But they want that. They want them. They want all that. God is opposed to you. I want all this. So the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced and the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. Here's this kind of half in and half out mentality again. When I'm in church on Sunday, I'm in. And on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm out. When I'm around church people, I'm in. God's good. When I'm around everyone else, I'm out. What it may have looked like is just be tolerant. Why are you so bigoted? Why do you hate those people? Why do you hate that people? Anything goes. It's all good. Just be like us, Israel. Just be like us. But don't disagree with us. Like your God is the God of all heavens and earth and he made everything. But don't ever say that or don't ever talk about that or don't ever find joy in that or don't dedicate time to him. That's your thing. We'll have our thing. And our thing's better so you can just keep coming over here. Is that like just a 2,000-year-old problem? Not really. <clears throat> because the word be, be tolerant, we kind of know this issue. It, it doesn't just mean like, okay, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're different than me, and I'll, like, I'm going to endure through our differences and allow this relationship to continue and like I still I love you as a friend and as a brother, right? And we can disagree and still have a great time and go out for coffee and have conversations and blah blah blah. Like that's not really what tolerant means anymore in our society and world. It actually means if you disagree with me, you're a bigot, right? And then we we get scared of that. I don't want, I don't want to be that, so anything goes. And then we start to do half in, half out. Hopefully we can, just a quick side note, we can be a church that is tolerant in the true sense of the word. We love and endure in our differences, that we're patient and kind and like God. We don't just want to destroy somebody because they're different than us. Let's keep going in 2 Kings. 2 Kings 18. This is a king, Hezekiah. He's a pretty cool king. He, uh, he hears, trusts, and obeys the Lord. 
And when he does that, it says he prospers. Go check it out. Just read Second Kings chapter 18. I didn't want to put the whole chapter up there um, just for the sake of time. But you walk through it, and it's, it's beautiful. You see, he hears the voice of God, and he says, you know what? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that what you have and what you say for me is good. And I'm just going to start walking in that, and I'm going to see what happens. And it says he prospers. And I know as Christians, this is, a, this is kind of an inside circle issue right here, right? The prosperity gospel. Um, we're not going to go there, and that's not really what we're talking about here, that every time you hear trust and obey, you're going to prosper in the way that we think, right? Lots of money, nice house, nice car, la, 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 right? But probably you'll prosper in joy, in a fullness of life that you've never had before. A love of people. It may be, for in some cases, for some people, a blessing toward their business or their career but maybe not for all. But he prospers. And you know what happens? The king of Assyria, who, who's in control of, the, uh, of all the people of Israel, the northern tribe, he comes along and he starts taunting him. And his people says, oh, but look what we have. You have God, and it's going well and you're prospering, but look what we have. We got all these cool worldly possessions. We got the nice house, the nice car. I know they didn't have cars back then, but you get what I'm talking about. We have nice camels. <laughs> we got the good food, the good drink. Don't trust God. Trust us. This stuff's better than that. Just go ahead and read it. Like The best way to understand this stuff is just, just to go and just read it. All of Second Kings. Just read it. And you see this pattern start to emerge. Hezekiah eventually dies. Other kings come along. And what do they do? We know the cycle. They worship idols. They give in to the taunts of the king of Syria. Let's go. Uh, I'm going to summarize real quick. Second Kings 22. Actually, no, I think I have this scripture up here. Do I have it? No, that's all right. Here we go. Uh, oh, yeah, it is a summary. So Josiah finds the book of the covenant. So it describes this like one of the priests finds the book, right? The, the Old Testament, right? Probably the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Um, and they start reading through it. And this priest goes to the, to, uh, the king Josiah and he says, um, you know, look, what I'm, like, look what's going on in here. Right? God wants us to be like this. This is who God is. Um, maybe we should do something about that. And uh, so Josiah, this is really cool. He didn't directly hear the voice of God, but through the scriptures, he understood, and by the Holy Spirit, he understood what God was trying to tell him, and he, and he trusted it, and he took a, a step forward in faith. He realized that he was in disobedience, and he turned his heart towards God and took steps forward in obeying him. We call this repentance. We literally change our, we'll talk more about this later, change our mind, change our heart, change the way we think and act. And God, then God speaks to him verbally. Really cool. Check it out. Second Kings 22. And then he dies. Other kings disobey. And this opens the door for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, to start the process of removing all the people from Judah this is the southern tribe where Jerusalem is. Remove all the people, destroy the temple, and they're officially taken out of the game. And we can read this story and say, man, why would God do that to his people? I thought he was good. Didn't you just say he was good and patient and so on? But here's, here's point number one after all that intro. That if we walk into idolatry, God in his love sometimes will release us to the consequences of our sin to lead us to repentance. Who watches sports? Anybody? Isaac, come on, buddy. 
<laughs> Watch sports with Isaac. It's the best. <laughs> the most fun. <clears throat> uh, what sports should we talk about? Soccer? Let's start there. Everybody knows what a red card is in soccer? No? All right. Okay, I'll explain a red card in soccer. So in soccer, right, you're, you're supposed to only use your feet, and you're supposed to use it to only touch the ball, right? Um, but sometimes when you use your feet to touch other players, you know, you get in trouble, and you get a red card. And what does the red card mean? Somebody? You're out. You're out of the game, pal. And the, the consequence is so severe, actually, that you spend the entire rest of the game one player short. Your whole team. So normally in soccer, you play with 11 people on the field. If somebody on your team gets a red card, you play the rest of the game with 10 people. If you get another red card, guess what happens? You're playing the rest of the game with nine people. And the consequence endures for the entirety of the game. But whose fault is it? Is it the ref? Is it the ref's fault that, that you walk up and you kick another player while he's down or something? Or? No, right? The ref didn't kick the player while he's down and blame it on you. No, you kicked the player while he was down and you got the red card and you suffer the consequences, right? Sometimes we can look at the refs and <laughs> a lot of the times, you know, well, maybe not a lot, but some of the times we don't have perfect refs, right? Well, none of our refs are perfect. <laughs> Let's say that. No human referee is perfect. But I, I believe they, they do try their best sometimes. And let's forget about all the backdooring and the bribing and all that kind of stuff. Let's say an ideal ref, for the most part, will try his best. And if you foul somebody, you suffer the consequences. Let's say it's hockey. You just slash a guy with your stick. Oh, consequences. Penalty box. You're out of the game. And it's not the ref's fault, it's the player's fault. We don't like to think of sin in that way in our, in, in our relationship with God. We like to blame the ref for the consequences of our sin. Right? As opposed to saying, yes, I kicked the player while he's down. I broke the rules of the game. I wasn't playing along. I had a malicious heart. I tried to, you know, cheat or whatever. Now we go, ref, it's your fault. Seen players like that? Like maybe like in basketball where they try and block the ball and they clearly just, just swipe the other player and the ref's like, Boop. free throw. Like, come on, ref, come on. Right? It's like, Dude, it's so obvious. There's, there's like 100,000 people watching you. <laughs> like we all saw it, you know? How many of us like to blame God? You're not fair. You're not nice. You're not good. These rules suck. When we openly walk in sin, and especially, like Israel, lead others, right? These kings who are leading others into sin. And oh boy, even to worship other gods, there are consequences. And for Israel, it's exile. But, like I say in point number one, it's not... It's not a mean or malicious thing. It's actually, and we're going to find out, it's actually a gift from God. It's actually a gift. Because it's to lead us to repentance. It's to lead us back to Him. You want to worship other gods? You want to follow other kings? You want to be like the other people? You want to listen to what they listen to? Drink what they drink? Um, have sex like they have sex? See how it goes for a while. All right, so let's, let's, turn, let's turn to our own heart for a second and just talk about idolatry real quick. Um, what is, we, like we see, we, we hear in the story uh, that they're worshiping other gods, but what does it look like? 
They call them idols. Idols. And the first thing that always comes into my mind when I hear the word idol, especially before, like I became a Christian at 23, never read the Bible, never went to church, nothing. So I heard this, started hearing this word for the first time, not in the context of American Idol, you know. And I was like, oh, so it's like a, like a little statue, and you set it up at your home, maybe a little shrine, and maybe you carved it yourself, and it's like that's your God or whatever. Um, and you, you pray to it, and you give things to it, you know, and it will bless you if you do certain things. And that's, that's pr- pretty much the only context for idolatry that I really understood. Um, and that's part of it, but that doesn't have to be necessarily the entirety of it. So let's reframe it a little bit. Um, let's call it, let's ask the question like this. What do, you, what do you consider most important in your life? Where do you place your value, your possessions, your relationships? Let's look at a little list. Here we go. This is my idol detection test. <laughs> so if you're, if you're wondering to yourself, hey, I don't, like, I don't know if I... Like, I definitely don't worship a statue, but, like, I don't know. I do value certain things a lot. I do spend a lot of time in certain places, and I do put a lot of my money in certain places. So let's see if we have idols in our heart, and this is me included. So uh, what do you pour all of your money into, or the majority of your money into? For me, up until 23 years old, a lot of it went into uh, my own entertainment, my own independence, uh, a lot of it was alcohol or maybe girlfriends. Any guys in here spend a lot of money on their girlfriends? It's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right, to bless the one you're pursuing. But is it, is it so important to you that when it doesn't work out, like it, it crushes you? Man, I wasted all that money on that girl. I bought her that nice necklace. Oh, it's just a waste. Or what do you put, what do you put all your time into? Same list, maybe it's a girl, girlfriend, I don't know. Maybe it's your career. So let's say the career is the little statue. And for us married folks, maybe it's like on the altar to our little God career, we like slaughter our the relationship we have with our kids. We sacrifice it, we kill it. We let it die so that our little God career will be happy. What do you pour all of your emotions into? That when this, when this thing doesn't work out or when this person doesn't react this way, when I do something nice for them or uh, you examine for yourself, right? That it just absolutely devastates and destroys me. Before I met Jesus, I literally got into a bar fight one time because my buddy's sports team lost, like, (laughs) right? Like, so, so caught up into it, so emotional that even the slightest jarring from somebody else caused them such a flurry that, that we had to, like, literally fight other people because of it. He's one of my best friends still. He still loves sports a lot. (laughs) What do you pour all of your hope into? Really, 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 really hope this works out. Because if it doesn't, oh man. Oh man. We kind of like put all of our value, all our personal value, all of our personal value, like, if, if that thing doesn't work out, it means I'm a failure. Put all of our personal identity into these things to, to tell us who we are. Yes, I'm a successful financial planner. That's who I am. I'm a success at this. And maybe times go bad, and it, I don't know who I am. I lost my job. I don't know what to do. I, I I'm not a financial planner anymore. Oh my gosh. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? We plunge 
we're just lost. We just get lost because we don't have our one thing anymore. It's a lot like Israel. And as we go through as a church, as we walk through this series, and we span the entire biblical story, let's hold on to these little nuggets that we're focusing on each week. That in the beginning, if God creates, that at, and God is good, and he blesses humanity, and he's like abundant in that, right? Mike talked about, man, he, didn't, he didn't just say like not to eat all these different trees, and there's only like one tree in the garden that we can eat from. No, he said, tell you what, eat from all the trees. It's all yours. Like eat everything in the garden. Just don't touch this one tree. Right? This is like abundantly gracious and abundantly generous, right? And let's hold on to that. And every time that we come across an instance of God in the future, let's remember that that's the foundation that the Bible built this instance on top of. And when we talk about exile, let's remember that. So I'm going to repeat this again. When we, if we walk into idolatry, God will release us to the consequences to lead us to repentance because he loves us. He wants us to come back to him. And so what what does repentance look like? Let's talk about point number two. When we walk in repentance, we will always find freedom in a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way for Israel to get back into right relationship with God is to faithfully endure the consequences and turn back to God and seek him for his salvation, to have a change of mind. Ah, right. God is the God that releases us from slavery. I'm in slavery right now, and it's my own fault. God, thank you for revealing that to me. Thank you for turning my heart back to you. And when we're talking about something this grand of a scale, like leading people, nations, and churches, and so on, when it comes to repentance, this involves all of our person, and it's going to start with the leaders, and it's going to trickle down to the people through that. And I'm going to say fathers, too. It starts with leaders and fathers. That... We, I'm going to be a father. I am, I'm a father. Baby, little, we just found out it's a baby girl. Oh, I'm so excited. Like, I'm so excited. Man, I get to be a daddy to a baby girl. So cool. And my number one hope for her is that she has a father who's repentant. And that she would see Jesus and meet Jesus because of that. So fathers, when we, when we stay repentant, we keep ourselves in a place of humility, your family will follow. And leaders of churches, when we stay repentant, to keep Jesus the main thing that others will follow in. If you're in here right now, if you're a part of Trinity Life Church, if you're a member at Trinity Life Church, you are a, you're a leader of this church. When Emily and I met Mike and Daniel, um, basically three months after they landed here, three, four months, and we were like, man, we're all in. We're all in. We're planting Trinity Life Church. We're not just going to be a part of Trinity Life Church. Like, we are all in. We're all in on this. And so if you're a member, I want to encourage you, be all in. And we'll talk a little bit more more about that later. Um, And the reason I'm so excited about our members being all in in this church is because I know we have repentant leaders. that we sit in our meetings on Tuesday morning, we pray for our city, we pray for the church, we ask God for direction, where to go, 
how to lead. And we're not going to be a perfect church. Like we hear, we hear through the grapevines a lot. We know we have issues. We know that we're not perfect. We're still a little baby church learning how to walk and, you know, maybe not even walk yet. We're still kind of learning how to crawl, you know. But I would encourage people to be all in in this church because I know we have repentant leaders. That when little things creep up in our hearts, like, man, why, where is everybody this week? Are we doing things right? If we worked a little harder, would we have more people here? Maybe, but when the value of having more people in this room starts to creep in on our leaders, and we, get, we start to get our identity in that, they're quick, quick to repent and say, Jesus, we want to be the size of a church that you want us to be. And help us to be content. We're so wrong. We're so wrong to find value in that. Help us to find value in you. And help us to be the church that you want us to be. This, this is what repentance looks like. Um, it involves con- confession, contrition, and change. This is a little list that I got from a pastor that I really appreciate. So confession. Confession starts in our mind. We start to, to change our thinking. Yes, I, I am wrong. God is right about this issue. I need to not be so prideful and hold on to all my money. Maybe I need to be a little bit more generous to the people around me. And then we say that with our mouths, right? To God, but also to others, right? The Bible says confess, confess our sins one to another so that forgiveness could be poured out. We say it out loud in our personal prayer times and to the people who love us and can encourage us and lift us back up. God, I was wrong. I am sorry. I want to be the man or woman that you want me to be. Contrition. The Bible talks about a broken and contrite heart. It means we really like feel the weight of our sin. Like, man, it's not that it's just, oh, whatever, you know, no biggie. It's like, wow, I turned away from the God of the universe who made me, who loves me, who's been faithful to me. Oh, maybe have one of those cries. I've had many times I've had these cries where it's just like tears and snot and gross because it just tears me apart inside that I would put my value. And some of us aren't expressive people. I get it. I get that, you know, more of an internal processor. But when you're alone, Do you feel that? What are the emotions that come up? How do we express it outwardly? And change. This is what you do. This is what you desire, the direction you're walking in. This is what we work on, how we outwork this in our life. That like you don't just keep going back to the same thing, that things actually change, that we exercise that spiritual gift of discipline. I'm not very disciplined with my calendar. I'm always late or I forget about commitments. I'm going to work on something to make me better at that so that I don't fall into the same cycle And if we ever get to a place where we're confessing, we're contrite, and things are starting to change, man, that's a beautiful gift. That's a beautiful gift. And then we do all those things, confess, and are contrite, and we change our life, and it turns into joy, right? Like we change our mind, like, man, yeah, this isn't just awful, and it is awful that I've sinned, but man, God's grace is amazing, and 
and I can walk in a new freedom and I can have a new life and he forgives me. Wow. And our, and our expression and our emotion turns to joy and it's awesome. And repentance is not something to be afraid of that like, uh, we walk around with a sign and like lighting things on fire and saying, repent, repent, repent. Like it, that's not what it is. It's like, man, God led me into repentance and it's amazing. And I totally saw his love and grace there. It's all a gift from God that in his grace, he breaks in and works in us to restore our original identity and our original destiny. And so what do we do when we're in exile? Because the church, Israel and Judah, they're in exile. The church in in, uh, 2 Peter, um, Peter talks about as also being in exile. What does that mean? It means our home is not here on this earth, that our home is in heaven, that there are rulers and powers and authorities here, but they're not the ultimate ruler and power and authority, and that we're dwelling in a type of exile in a place that's not our own. And so how do we act? What do we do? How do we survive here? And the prophet Jeremiah tells the leaders of the people, and, well, all the people, but he starts with the leaders, say, build houses. Live here. Marry here. Seek the welfare of the city and the people around you. Want good for it. That your original identity is sons and daughters of a God who loves, a God who is great. And your destiny is to be a blessing to the nations. You guys remember that promise to Abraham? You will be a blessing to all the nations. And so just start doing that where you are. And let's live like that. Let's wrap up with point number three. When we walk the path of Christ, we suffer in exile for the sake of others. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what we deserved, Jesus took as the Father turned his back on the Son. For our sake. That the whole time, Israel's in exile, God never removed his presence from them. That's what they deserved. That's what we deserve. And all the spiritual and physical, emotional anguish and torment and distance is something that God withholds from us and pours out on his perfect sinless son that we sorry that he has been in relationship with for all eternity perfect loving relationship so that many sons and daughters all of us could be brought into his eternal family and that's the call That's amazing. Let's turn from our idolatry. Let's stop putting our value, our ultimate value, our ultimate worth, our ultimate authority in things that aren't a perfect and loving God because those things will never live up to the standard that you put on them. And so how does it start? It starts starts with your family and it goes out from there. So I got a list for you guys. Let's take responsibility for the flourishing of these things. And let's start in our families as a church. That we wouldn't just get by with our family. We wouldn't just like put a bunch of things on the calendar. This was my family. We just put a bunch of things on the calendar. As long as we got them done, soccer practice, golf camp, school, la, 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 right? As long as we got them done, we're, we're a good and successful family. Now we want to see flourishing and life 
Let's take responsibility for the flourishing of our church. It's been a really hard month. Everyone's summer break and vacation. It's been a really hard month. There's not been a lot of people around. Mike's on vacation. That's fine. Willing to carry the load, you know, a little extra load while some other, to bless other people that have time off. Um, but it's been hard. And you know what's amazing? You know what's amazing about this church? People step up and they helped Emily and I when we were feeling overburdened. Because we have certain people in this church who are willing to see the flourishing of this church. I could have tossed in the towel two weeks ago. It was like, it was really hard. And we had to go financially over the top for people who were throwing their responsibility on the ground. We came by and picked it up. Emotionally, it was like devastating because this is like good friend of ours. And people, by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, knew that because they're close enough to us to help us carry that. Let's take responsibility in our workplaces to see the flourishing of other people. Let's be a blessing to the nations. Let's be that promise that by the power and redemption of Jesus Christ in us, through the Spirit, that we would bless the people in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, well, the people who live right next door to you. Do you know their names? Our city. I love this church because we take responsibility for our city. Say, yeah, you're different and we disagree. But man, let's do something for the flourishing of this city. Let's suffer for them. Let's suffer for the world, for injustice, so that other people's burdens may be lifted, just like Jesus did for us, the burden of sin. And let's persevere like Israel had to while they were in exile. Persevere. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fair. It's not going to be just. But persevere. Did Jesus deserve this? We're going to do communion right now. Did Jesus deserve that? His broken body and poured out blood? No. Did he do it anyways? Yeah. Yeah.